Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. In a new survey, 70% of American dog owners say that their dog overeats during the holidays. Then their dogs are like, it's called seasonal depression and telling everyone is not helping. <laughs> you know your dog overeats when he drops an Alka-Seltzer in the toilet bowl before drinking, you know? <laughs> That's pretty funny. Uh, our dog eats the same thing every day. No scraps, no people food. Sorry if you think that's cruel. Uh, but uh, he's also svelte and in wonderful condition. And other than the fact that he has cancer and is going under the knife right now, he's doing great. So anyway, uh, if your dog is overweight, don't look at the dog. The dog is not going shopping. The dog does not open the refrigerator like me and think, well, I just have one or two of these. Uh, so... Anyway, uh, I was going to talk about the, the future of Twitter. The number of people on Twitter is is fairly small, and the people who use it actively is even smaller than that. Um, you know, it's funny. I've just kind of lost heart on it. But the, the new guy at Twitter is um, he's not even Jack Dorsey in terms of valuing the free exchange of ideas. No, he's, he's making noises about uh, we're deprioritizing free speech in favor of addressing harm. Yeah, it's funny how that harm only goes one way, and a lot of what was terrible harm in Twitter was actually the truth, and months later people said, oh, yeah, okay, I guess, like, maybe Trump's not a Russian agent, and the Steele dossier is a joke, and the lab leak theory is 100% worth discussing. Yeah, yeah, and Dr. Fauci does participate and has participated unquestionably in gain-of-function research. Yeah, well, okay, sorry we uh, silenced and deplatformed people. Oh, oh, and perhaps our greatest sin, crushing the Hunter Biden laptop story in the month before the election. Yeah, that was a mistake. Sorry, sorry. Well, that was under Jack Dorsey. This guy's even more hardcore that he's going to manage the exchange of ideas. So goodbye, Twitter. Um Matt Taibbi with an uh, alternately persuasive and amusing inter- uh, uh, essay entitled, Will Twitter Become an Ocean of Suck? Uh, yes, it will, Matt. And then an interesting uh, twist on this. Do you remember Jack brought this to our attention a few days ago? There's a new rule in Twitter that's left everybody scratching their head that if somebody tweets uh, you know, puts out a tweet that includes a photo or video of you without your permission, you can demand that it be taken down. Twitter said the rule would, quote, help curb the misuse of media to harass, intimidate, and reveal the identities of private individuals, which disproportionately impacts women, activists, dissidents, and members of minority com- communities. It does? Does it really? Does it? Anyway, you know who's figured out how to use this? Actual, like, neo-Nazis and far-right activists. Not people who are just slightly right of Mitt Romney, who the left calls neo-Nazis or racists or white supremacists, but actual ones. They've realized that, oh, there are these groups that put our pictures up and say, hey, this guy's a Nazi, so be careful with him. Um, and they're now writing onto Twitter or, or, you know, petitioning Twitter. you got to take my picture down. And uh, so Twitter doesn't know what to do with itself and is... Um, has uh, has taken down various pictures of actual Nazis now. So that's uh, caused yet more, uh, you know, panty knotting and hand-wringing over at the would-be censors at uh, Twitter. So I wish them well in their endeavor of making Twitter worth a damn. 
uh, although I'm increasingly tired of it. I, I will. And, and it's such a great thing in so many ways. There are great thinkers on Twitter. There's breaking news coverage on Twitter that's so good. It's better than network news or cable news could ever help hope to do. But, man, you log on that. If within 45 seconds you're not in a worse mood than when you started, I don't know who you are or how your brain works, but ugh. thanks, Twitter. So on to other things. In-N-Out restaurant, iconic fast food chain, California. And I've always wondered why they didn't expand more, because their food is really good. I mean, it's not like as good as, as Cal Unicornians claim it is. I love it, by the way. My my daughter and I are, are, are you know, twi- are, uh, in and out twins. We both love it so much. We go every chance we can. But um, it, it's, it's good. It's very good. It's solid. It's unique. And people love it. And I've always wondered why it didn't expand. Well, it turns out because nothing's frozen. Everything's fresh. And so it can only be shipped within a certain distance of their their uh, their centers, their, their distribution centers, stuff like that. But I'd love to see them go nationwide, partly not just because it's good fast food. There's plenty of good fast food, but because they're such good people. They treat their employees well. Their employees are, are just almost without exception, you know, uh, cheery, helpful, friendly professional they're paid better than other folks and they bring more to the table it's just a beautifully run business but they've been just hammered and harassed in california because they refuse to enforce the various counties mandates that everybody wanders in be fully vaccinated and in and out's trying to tell them look this is a 17 year old kid you're telling me this kid with a tray full of burgers and fries is going to say oh i'm sorry your papers aren't in order. You don't get your burger. Please take your money and go. I mean, in the real world, it's it's just idiotic. It's monumentally idiotic to expect fast food employees to enforce this stuff. And yet the monumentally idiotic counties, whether the Bay Area, California, or the L.A. area, are still demanding they do that. Even with the threat of fines up to $5,000, uh, in and out is continuing to defy enforcement of the city's uh, mandates. This is in L.A. Uh, CBS L.A.'s political reporter uh, Tom Waite visited an in and outs across the city. He found that it was business as usual, despite the fact that the burger chain could force fines. This was a couple of days ago this report was filed. I assume they're still doing the same thing. Um, so, you know, if you happen to live in Cal Unicornia, and uh, and you're thinking of grabbing a burg and some fries anyway? Go to In and Out and support them because they're getting murdered by these these God these health guru authorities that have been given these emergency powers. Their judgment is no better than a drunk seventeen year old's. They're they're woke. They're obsessed. They have only one thing in mind, and just the fact that they have any power at all is troubling. Much less emergency powers, which reminds me, you know. There are more and more studies coming out about the mental health of America's young people, and they're devastating. I mean, they're just terrible. I don't. I, I hesitate to even bring you up because they're so troubling. And it's the stuff we've been warning about for now at least a year. That if you obsess over a virus, and this is, I mean, my God, this is so especially true among young people who've been as close to impervious to the virus as you can be. I mean, the results, obviously, with young people are much, much, much better than old people, um, including middle-aged people. But young people just under very, very little threat from the virus. And again, we've been saying this forever. If you fixate on the virus and you rob young people of their educational opportunities, their 
exposure, in the case of very little kids, their exposure to human faces, their ability to exercise their fine and, and gross motor skills in schools, because that's one of the things schools do. It helps you learn to use your hands and your arms and your legs and your fingers and your toes. You deny them that. You deny them being with their friends. I've, I've read statements from, from progressive families, and don't hate them. They're in their information silos. They've been fed crappy, dishonest information over and over again by the MSNBCs and CNNs of the world, and frequently, you know, even like your mainstreamers like the New York Times. But I've read folks saying, my kid has not had a play date in a year and a half, and I'm just so sad for him. You suck. Oh, that's right. I just said we're not supposed to hate them for that because they're siloed. Right, right, right. Um, You have failed as a parent because you have not sought out good information on how to raise your child. So you get the young people denied their freshman year of college, denied their senior year of college, even though they all would have been fine. You know, I could go on and on, and, and you're probably shouting at your radio because you've seen in your, your kids, your adolescents, your college kids, your young adult kids, whatever, all the things they've been not denied. Even my, my youngest, who's in her early 20s, um, is, has got a new gig with a good company. It's a really nice, it's her first real job after graduating. She doesn't know anybody, doesn't know anybody at work, except for the people she works with most directly. Um, and that's just so stunting in terms of career growth. So in the name of avoiding the virus, we have unleashed this 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 avalanche of of misery on our young people. And now the studies are starting to come out. And again, they're miserable, they're depressing. They ought to be depressing. Everybody's depressed. Um and, 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 and the talking heads and the intellectual heavyweights and the government gurus and the, they're, they're, they're finally starting to talk about this. When if you're in touch with the real world at all, it's been obvious for so long. How long is it going to take to undo this? Can it be undone? If a child at age three doesn't engage in that incredibly critical period of, of the, like their fine motor skills we were talking about or learning their language or recognizing human faces in the case of infants and the stuff like that. Can that ever be undone? I don't know. I don't know. So what's the bottom line? Is there a moral to this story or is it just, you know, lamenting? I think the moral to the story, and a lot of us have known this, some of us have learned this, some of us are slowly coming to grips with us, with it. Anytime there's quote-unquote an emergency, get your back up. Set your bullcrap filter on its tightest setting. Ratchet up your suspicion of authority and government to its highest level. Not to the point that you knee-jerk reject everything, because that's as stupid as knee-jerk accepting everything. It's a different form of stupidity, friends. But get yourself ready to be cheated and to be lied to and to be defrauded. Because that's what what's happened now to a generation of kids, and it's just tragic. I won't belabor the point anymore, but it's all been done under the guise of emergency powers. And the people in charge of those emergencies are either fixated on covering their own, their own asses or fixated on the single problem we've begged them to solve for us, please, oh, wise ones, or both. Either way, the results can be disastrous, probably even more disastrous than letting the vid just run through the universities and high schools. Let the kids all get it. They're going to be fine and get immunity.
There's more to come. Stay with us. It's the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show. The Armstrong half, Jack, is back. Hello, Jack. How are you? Hey, everybody. I am uh, without a gallbladder now. I am part of the gallbladder-free community. I imagine there are groups I can join, and we do bike rides and fundraisers and uh, solo climb mountains and stuff like that. And certainly cry microaggression if anybody ever says you've got a lot of gall or anything like that. All right. Yeah. Not all of us have gallbladders. A-H. You're ableist. Ooh, A-H, that's strong. Yeah. So uh, how are you feeling after going under the knife yesterday afternoon, right? I think they did the surgery at 5. Everything's kind of blurry because, you know, you're all drugged up all day long. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got there at 1 and left at 11. Jimmy, me or you drugged up all day long? <laughs> I got there at 1 and I left at 11. I got home at 11 p.m. Yikes. And I'm like two miles from the hospital. So, yeah, I, I didn't even know they did anything in hospitals that late at night. I was the last person there. I stole a lot of stuff. But anyway... Um, I feel relatively fine. Just tired. I'm I'm not supposed to lift lift anything over ten pounds, which eliminates practically anything you would ever lift, or I will tear a bunch of stuff loose, and then I would probably not feel fine. Um, but I, I I think I feel fine. Of course, you know, I, <laughs> I've known many people who had procedures that felt fine until a variety of pain medicine wore off, and then they don't feel near as fine. But. Uh, yes, or these, uh, there's the I feel fine, therefore I will overdo it, uh, which uh, many of us have done after various procedures. And your body generally uh, has a stern word with you. Yeah, yeah. I am not going to lift anything over 10 pounds. Um, uh, as far as having a gallbladder attack like I did on Sunday night, which I'd never even heard of. I'd never heard that term before. People who've had them had that term. I talked to two more women. I've now heard from four women who said their gallbladder attack was worse than childbirth. Wow. Um, it was horrific. I was more than willing to have let them do anything yesterday at the hospital to avoid ever having that happen again. And now lots of things could still happen to me, but that can't happen to me because I ain't got no gallbladder. <laughs> um, <laughs> that one's done. Chapter that one is off, that is off the chart. That's no longer on the table as an option. Um, what did people do in the old days? I can't believe they've been removing gallbladders for that many years. What did they do a hundred years ago? You just you just lived with that horrifying condition. I must confess that my knowledge of the history of gallbladder surgeries is incomplete at best. Well, all, all I kinds don't, I of don't things, know. all kinds of things, appendix, gallbladders, just you know, all the things that we kind of routinely get fixed in the modern world. What did they do back in the old days? Is that why life expectancy was so short? Well, that was one of the reasons, sure. Plus, the whole "you can live without this" was kind of a guess back in the day. Oh, yeah. nobody needs a liver here. Let's take this. Why are there at least two organs inside you that they can take out and your life is perfectly fine without them? Hung God, what was that deal? Or Galapagos yeah. Islands or whoever you want to talk to. But no, it's like the sports package on a car. It's nice, but you don't need it. <laughs> Makes things easier, better, yeah. easier to pick up chicks. Yeah. Well, I don't know if not having a gallbladder is going to help me in that area. But It's a metaphor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad to hear it's going okay. The incision, I understand these days, is, is fairly small. I haven't seen it. I oh. got three of them. They went in from three different angles, and then they really surrounded it. Put you put put, put a bunch of 
put a bunch of tools in there with a camera and they just cut it off and yank it out one of the holes and close you back up. Yeah. That's all there is to it. I'd be a little cautious about the five, <laughs> excuse me, the five o'clock at night surgery. I, I want like not the first one of the day, but like the third or fourth one. You know, not that it's the end of the day. Everybody's checking their watch. Their wife is saying, when are you coming home? Or their husband. Right. They let girls be doctors these days, Jack. Uh, you know, that's a little iffy that five o'clock surgery. Hey, I Jack. Think, Jack. Yeah. Did you yeah. keep the gallbladder? Did you ask? You know, I it- asked about that. I asked about that. And this, I'm going to have to talk to lawyer Tim about this. So I asked about keeping my gallbladder, and they said, no, you can't do that. And I wasn't going to argue with them there. But what do you mean? If, if there's anything that you have property rights around more than your own freaking body, I don't know what it is. That is my gallbladder. I don't care that you took it out. It belongs to me. So why can't I bring it home and put it in a jar and use it as a lovely mantelpiece? You know, I inquired about keeping my hip bone when I got uh, my two super cool custom aftermarket hips put in. Uh, but uh, somebody said, nah, it's kind of complicated because it's medical waste. And I thought, oh, okay. No, 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 no. Don't give me that bureaucratic law crap. It is mine. It belongs to me. Well, clearly. Give me my damn gallbladder. So what are you going to do? In, in, inflate it and let your kids play with it in the yard? Or what? You got plans? You going to make a Christmas ornament out of it? I, don't I know can't imagine it. what it looks like. Little shriveled up gallbladder until you inflate it. That's funny. You had the thought, Michael. I did too. And speaking of women, you know, in this world where we're constantly empowering women and making sure women can do this and women can do that, and telling women you can be anything you want. There, I didn't we're work out with of one time. man. Not sure you saw the cue. Out of time. Armstrong and Getty. More than 30 people recently spent the night at an Ikea in Denmark after a snowstorm stranded them at the store. And then they were stranded another night because they couldn't find the exit. Yeah. Um, to wrap this uh, gallbladder conversation up, uh, I, uh, I, I'd heard the word gallbladder, but I'd never spent a second ever thinking about what it does or what it is or anything like that ever in my entire life. Ever. It's the uh, sort of gall- thing that nobody even thinks about until somebody near them has some sort of uh, issue. Yeah, I have a gallbladder attack 11 o'clock Sunday night. I'm home 11 o'clock last night, two days later, 48 hours later, without a gallbladder. That's a, that's a pretty amazing medical system we have. I'd say it is, yeah. Have I, you I weighed yourself? For, Was it a weight loss uh, thing? Uh, yeah, I'll have to weigh myself. The thing's yeah. got to weigh a couple of pounds, right? Sure. Or a pound or something like that. But anyway. I have no idea. Um, At no point, and I thought about this. Because you know we've got you got you got to have a female doctor on Sesame Street so that little girls know that they can grow up to be doctors and stuff like that. <clears throat> that sort of talk is still popular in America. I don't think I dealt with a single dude at any point ever. ever. Wow! Emergency room, um, hospital, nurses, anesthesiologists, surgeon who took it out of me, follow up care, you know, wheeling me out. The only dude I saw in forty eight hours of being heavily involved with the local medical system was a guy taking trash out. Wow. So if you were going to take any message from that as a young person, it would be guys can take out trash, but really women run the medical system. Not that I have a, I don't have any problem with women being involved, but we certainly have a, uh, we, we don't have a problem with convincing young girls they can be at least that. We need a men's resource center on <laughs> oh, campus. Boy. We need uh, recruiting of men, that sort of thing. Oh, that cough couldn't have Coughing's not pleasant. I'm supposed to hold various things when I cough so they don't rip apart. I forgot, I forgot that. Uh-oh. Anyway, moving away from my medical situation. I just saw a tweet from ABC News. Twelve major cities have hit all-time homicide records with uh, three weeks left in the year. 
Wow. Anybody want to uh, discuss that and try to do anything to arrest that problem, or are we just going to continue on that chart? Good, uh, good choice of words. Uh, I posited earlier, based on some mainstream media coverage of the crime wave sweeping across America, that even those who are least comfortable admitting the truth are starting to recognize what's going on, and that uh, you know something's got to be done with it, uh, done about it. Um, but you can, you can at great time, expense, and and effort turn the legal system back to say arresting criminals charging them trying them incarcerating them punishing them in some way you can turn that after a while not easy but a while but how do you turn the culture how do you turn swaths of america that believe it's fun and great to smash up and rob stores I don't know. Quoting from the Wall Street Journal piece on this, uh, specific Democratic policies have clearly played a significant part in the retreat from what had been perhaps the most important social advance of the past 50 years, an unprecedented decline in almost every category of crime. We had won as a people. We had Mm -hmm. figured it out. We had driven away crime in a way that had never been driven away before. And then we decided to enact policies going the other direction. How freaking stupid is that? Well, somebody convinced somebody that we have too many people incarcerated. We have more people incarcerated per capita than anybody on earth. So I had, uh, just like I'd never heard about a gallbladder before, I had never heard the term parklet until yesterday, Yesterday, and I read this article. Do you know what, the, the, what they're calling parklets? Uh, I had no idea what that was until I read the article. I think we probably yeah. saw the same thing. Yeah, so... Um, Restaurants all across the country have done this, where they they build out that little area out onto the street, and they you know they got a little wood railing around it and a little roof sometimes, and little posts, and they try to make it nice if it's a nice restaurant and everything like that, so people could sit out on the street during the pandemic. Well, now and so least, they could stay in business and keep oh, paying and so their the, employees. Yeah, yeah, the main thing. So the restaurants could not go out of business and continue to serve people. Uh, San Francisco Chronicle out with the article: San Francisco made parklets permanent but added so many rules that many restaurants plan to tear them down. 60 pages of rules to keep your parklet up. A lot of them contradictory, making it impossible, either from a um, complying with the rules or cost-wise. It's just too expensive. You can't possibly stay in business. Keeping in mind that these structures are simple. I mean, your buddy the carpenter who built his kid a treehouse, that's what we're talking about. Right, and even Ezra Klein, the lefty uh, columnist, said, this is like a parody of liberal governance. 60 pages of rules to keep parklets that the city encouraged the restaurants to build. Every interest considered except the one that the law was supposed to achieve, letting a successful experiment continue. Bureaucracies, 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 man. Supervisor Aaron Peskin, who is a tiny island of sanity in the sea of what the hell that is San Francisco, said, It's the most uncoordinated, messed up, insulting display of government incompetence. It's breathtaking. Wow. Wow. Yeah, these people who've been told over and over again, yep, perfect. Now the inspector comes back and says, nope, tear it down. And and the seven, the original seven pages of, of regulations have turned into 60 as Jack pointed out, these people are utterly befuddled. They, the, the, the fixes would cost more than their annual revenue, um, and and they spent they spent between ten and fifty thousand dollars each to build these little outdoor dining setups, according to the very letter of the law from the city. But now the letter of law is vastly expanded and changed, and they're being told to tear them down or fix them. 
and they're beside themselves. Just unbelievable. You know what else is unbelievable? When you have an expensive repair come out of nowhere on your car, and maybe you don't have the money laying around. Well... Car Shield can help you. Car Shield is America's number one auto protection company, and instead of you dealing with writing that big old check and dealing with all the paperwork and the phone calls and the hassle, Car Shield's administrators will do that for you. Yeah, it's a monthly coverage plan, which is awesome. You can sign up for it quickly. You can get out of it quickly if you decide. And whether your car is 5,000 miles or 150,000 miles, Car Shield has a monthly coverage plan for you with over a million drivers already using Car Shield. You pick your mechanic, and then you go from there. They handle the paperwork, which is awesome. They even provide coast-to-coast roadside assistance, rental coverage, and trip reimbursement, all at no additional charge. CarShield, best defense against costly repairs. Visit carshield.com slash Armstrong to save 10%. That's carshield.com slash Armstrong. A deductible may apply. That's the way deductibles are, man. Go to carshield.com slash Armstrong. That's right, we're still on the air. Yeah, we are. We haven't talked about old man uh, Biden and Putin's call for quite a while. I don't know if you've uh, had a chance post-operation to take in any coverage of that. No, I was asleep under heavy anesthesia through uh, much of the coverage of that. What's what's your takeaway? Your just overall takeaway? Overall takeaway? Well, my bottom, bottom line is 60-40. He goes into Ukraine and takes what he wants and really takes the lumps. Um, But I'm only 60-40 certain of that. Uh, Biden came with some pretty good threats and such. Putin made some interesting demands that makes me wonder whether he actually just wants to take the Ukrainian territory or he's just trying to get bigger concessions from NATO to back off a little bit Mm -hmm. on his flank. Not clear given his history, though. I think he wants to grab the territory. He wants to be the great man of Russian history and rebuild the, uh, the Russian Empire. Um, that's that's my guess. Did you hear? And I'm asking Jack and everybody. Did you hear how the call started? Hang on, yeah. there, Michael. Yeah. Hang on. Yeah, I did. I said at the beginning of the show, if I was at the writers' meeting a Saturday night live, and they said, "Here's what we ought to do. Since Biden's old, let's start with him like not unmuting and not knowing how the call works. Wouldn't that be funny?" And I'd say, "Yeah, it's it's kind of funny, but it's a little cliched at this point." Geez, I don't know if we ought to go with that. Well, here's how it started. Приветствую вас, господин президент. There you go. Hello. Добрый день. Good to see you again. I, uh, unfortunately, last time I we didn't get to see one of it at the G20. I hope next time we meet, we do it in person. Ah, oh, boy. Stay for the fumbling or come for the stumbling old man not getting on the air and then just kind of, uh, what? Okay, I, it's working now. Can you hear me? Well, and stay well, for then when he, does, that? when he does start to speak, he just can't string a sentence together. Well, well, who, bad, can't care. Who's in charge of that? I, they don't make the president himself. You know, put your hand on the mouse and when you're ready to talk, click. They don't have him doing it, do they? No. No, indeed. Where are his people? Who is in charge of this? What is going on? Putin has to find that hilarious. Yeah, Putin and his uh, his advisor, Alexandre Mabuspinwet, are sitting there taking the call in. If if you didn't unmute Putin when you were supposed to, you're going to fall out a window later that day. So you get it right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. So, you know, how it went from there, history will tell. I don't know. Uh, evidently... NATO's all together, and Germany's threatened that we won't uh, we won't go through with your pipeline deal if you move on Ukraine. But you just don't know with the pooter. Right. I mean, 
If he can portray to his people that, oh, my God, we're being attacked by the savages of the West again. They're coming for our territory. They're coming for your your children. They're going to rape your daughters and steal your wheat and the rest of it. Then, you know, he's the richest guy in the world, literally, according to a lot of people. So if his people go through two years of severe economic sanctions... And then he claws his way back to the semi-good graces of the West. If he exchanges that for, say, a third of Ukraine, again, since his one goal is to be one of the great czars of Russian history, I think he does it. Right. And then what does Taiwan uh, feel when it sees that the world allowed Russia to take Ukraine? Because the world wasn't willing to go to war for that. No, I don't, I don't know that they should be. We should be, honestly. You're going to have a war over Ukraine? I would say that if NATO wanted to do it, we should help. But uh, we shouldn't be leading that charge. All those freaking Euro countries. If you don't care enough about it, then why should we care enough about it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I would love to see us, uh, meaning NATO, send some sort of international force, spread them out across the border and say, look, there is zero chance we attack. We will never attack you. We'll never take an offensive action unless you go first. But, you know, there are ways to manipulate that. I did read a good uh, piece in the Washington Post yesterday from David Ignatius, who knows a lot about this sort of stuff, about how Ukraine's got a for-real army. They would lose ultimately, but they can make it a real headache for Putin. They've been uh, they've been fighting battles for a long time. They're pretty experienced. They're pretty well-trained. they got a lot of equipment that we and other countries have given them. They'll, they'll put up a serious fight, and there will be an insurgency, you know, like the kind of thing that we've run into in Iraq and Afghanistan. Where you got a bunch of uh, you got a bunch of people out there just you know making life horrible for you for years. And the Ukraine could do that to Russia. Yeah, the Ukrainian underground. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, only time will tell, I suppose. It's always hard to say what uh, what Putin is up to. But the financial sanctions that Biden said would happen if he moved on to Ukraine are, are really serious sanctions. The question is, does the great Czar Putin care? I guess we'll find out together in the days to come. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Video chats is a tough way for both of these guys to do diplomacy. I mean, especially because even when he's in person, Biden talks like he's got a bad connection. Man, come on, man, Vlad, you, you got to, you know, with the thing we're, we're trying to do in the border, you got to, man, we got to, we got to, come on, come on, come on, man, but, but, but look. Joe, you're cutting out. No, Joe, I cannot hear you. You are cutting. Reboot your ser- You know what? I reboot for you. I have access to White House servers, not Kamala. She doesn't use Bluetooth. Everybody else. Yeah, right. The comedy stylings of one Trevor Noah, who oddly enough factors into the next story. This is a fellow by the name of Spencer Lindquist. He's writing in The Federalist. He's talking about how uh, he documented his former high school's attempt to indoctrinate him with critical race theory six years ago. This is in the Bay Area, California, Campbell, California, if you know the area. But, uh, you know, one of the wokest of the woke areas of the country. And, uh, and, and he's gone back. Um, he remarked that several years later, the situation has undoubtedly worsened. Well, worsened it has. He's, he's gone back. He's checked into it. Now, Campbell Union High School District has promoted more than 100 equity resources to student and staff, including a document that taught students how to put a curse on those who, for instance, say all lives matter. 
No, your radio didn't glitch out. It's teaching them how to put a curse on someone. So this page serves as a vast library for critical race theory resources and features 60 different links, including a Google Drive, 45 different documents. The list made sure to include the full range of CRT buzzwords with links like Raising Race Conscious Children, the infamous 1619 Project, Anti-Racism for Beginners, and Social Identities and Systems of Oppression, among others. And once again, if your school district denies they're teaching critical race theory, but you see any of those buzzwords, equity, anti-racism, white fragility, etc., that's exactly what they're doing. One link takes you to an anti-racism resource list, which teaches about, quote, white fragility and claims that racism can only be perpetrated by white people. Anybody with an ounce of sense would would reject that notion. But anyway, one of the resources provided was a Trevor Noah speech labeled Why Rioting Makes Sense. Followed by an unhinged anti-white rant from Sonia, from Sonia Renee Taylor demanding that white people, quote, throw your white body on police officers and put your bodies on the line for the purposes of justice. The list also addresses white people when it says, quote, we are socialized into white supremacy from the moment we are born, before going on to say that it is, quote, it is about completely dismantling how you see yourself and how you see the world so that you can dismantle white supremacy. Now, keep in mind, they're teaching this to children. Samuel Martin graduated from the district's uh, Branham High School in 2019, was appalled by the district actions. He told the Federalist, quote, the idea that white students must dismantle themselves in the context of their personality is cultish. Not only is it cultish, but it's deliberate in this school system. It wants its white students to hate themselves. Do these people honestly think that drilling racial identitarianism into children's heads from a young age is going to make them less racist? Then... The uh, Unified District also links to the Black Lives Matter Resource Guide. Wow, that's funny. They're Marxists. Avowedly so. Specifically, their section labeled High School, which itself includes 45 texts. Amid a wide variety of CRT-inspired assignments is a document that includes writing prompts on, quote, police brutality and racist violence. One section titled Hex tells the readers, quote, Hexing people is an important way to get out anger and frustration. It becomes increasingly deranged, by the way, suggesting that those who say all lives matter or commit microaggressions, whatever those are, should be targeted. Write your own hex poem cursing that person, it instructs. They're teaching this in your schools. When asked about her thoughts on the document that instructed K-12 through students to use witchcraft on political opponents, Branham teacher Meredith Allen told the Federalist she hadn't read the documents her district recommends, so I can't comment. But she is generally, quote, opposed to the All Lives Matter message. Okay. Another section labeled A World with No Police cites police and military as, quote, systems or institutions that contribute to oppression. It asks, what would the world be like without them? before telling the reader to write a poem discussing a world without the police and the military. Well, actually, you know what? I think that would be a pretty worthwhile assignment. But any kid who wrote anything but, yeah, I think the predators and criminals in society would immediately take advantage of the absence of law enforcement. Uh, and, And our cities and towns would descend into lawless hellishness. And that in the absence of the military, the malign powers of the earth would invade every square inch of line they could, 
uh, land, rather, every square inch of land they could and oppress every human being they could possibly oppress. Any student who didn't write that, I would I would say, we need to meet after class because you're a, a dreamer. Uh, the Black Radical Tradition is a 565-page ebook that includes articles from the Communist League and Noel Ignatiev under the pen name Noel Ignatin. Ignatiev was a Marxist who argued that, and I quote, abolishing the white race is so desirable that some may find it hard to believe that it can incur any opposition, that it could incur any opposition other than from committed white supremacists. So one of the resources for the children in the Campbell schools Quotes a Marxist who said, abolishing the white race is so desirable, the only opposition could come from white supremacists. There's a slideshow entitled, What is the Black Lives Matter Movement? Uh, they go into George Floyd racism in law enforcement. Uh, that, that defines racism as the oppression of people of color based on a socially constructed racial hierarchy that privileges white people. Definition that reinforces, again, the malicious lie that white people can't be the victims of anti-white racism, and never mind the fact that Asian people, for instance, are being victimized over and over again by black people who are racist against them, or occasionally white people, it doesn't matter. Racism knows no color, it knows no creed, it knows no national boundaries, it's everywhere, and this is insidious, it's being taught to your children, holy crap, pass the Tylenol, amen. Thanks for listening. Armstrong and Getty.